What makes the good life the good life? This podcast is on a mission to find out. So join us as we explore the Heartland's best and most honest voices. Venture to all four corners of York County, because when it comes to quality of life, it's all about keeping it local. Brought to you by the York County Development Corporation, this is 17 County, Season 4, with a spotlight on York College. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and review our podcast. Uh, Doing this helps grow our podcast, 17 County, and we appreciate the help from our listeners. Um, We would also like to take the time to thank our uh, members uh, who help support YCDC, uh, members such as um, Cornerstone Bank, members such as Chances Are, York State Bank, Cornerstone Building Brands. Um, these are all great members um, that have helped support support YCDC in our, in our mission. Um, members can be found at our membership directory um, at yorkdevco.com. That's Y-O-R-K-D-E-V-Co.com. Um, and so we'll go ahead and jump right into the interview. On this episode today, we are joined by an individual who has a great passion for our community. Um, He has been a director at the Community Playhouse for productions such as They're Playing Our Song, Lil Abner, Grease, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Uh, Those are just to name a few. He also serves as the chair of performing arts at York College. Um, And I'm looking forward to learning more about his passion for music, his passion for this community and his love for his family. And so today I welcome Dr. Clark Rausch to the podcast. Glad to be here. Perfect. So this first little segment, um, just kind of a fun one, uh, just get you kind of loosened up. Uh, so you're walking through the trails here in Beaver Creek, um, and you stumble upon a time machine. It's got a note kind of stuck on the door. Uh, on the note, it says there's a, enough juice in it, enough energy for a trip for you to, to go somewhere and come back in any time period. Uh, when and where would you go? Oh, man, that is so simple. I would go to Italy and the Renaissance. I, it is some of my favorite music. And if you think of some of the great artists that were in Florence and Venice and Naples and Rome, uh, the visual artists, the, the sacred church composers, um, just the explosion of knowledge and a discovery uh, that happened in especially the the mature last hundred years of the Renaissance. That would be incredible. Is there a certain like um, artist that you would want to like maybe meet in person or, you know, something you would try to track down maybe? Well, the composer that I would, would be Palestrina. And I do know that uh, he, he accrued the moniker Palestrina because his, his full name is like Giovanni Per Luigi della Palestrina. And Giovanni is like Italian for John. Apparently there were a bunch of Pierre Luigi's. And so Dalla Palestrina means the John Pier Luigi from Palestrina. And Palestrina is approximately 15 miles east of Rome. And I know if I ever got to see his birthplace, I would probably just weep because he just is so important in my musical life. That's awesome. That sounds like quite the plan already kind of you've kind of kind of already envisioned up, but that's, that's a great answer. Um, so we'll take it back kind of a little bit, um, a little bit closer uh, time period, but still some modern history. 
Um, so talk to me a little bit about life in West Des Moines. That's where you grew up on, uh, from what I've kind of researched. So talk to me a little bit about life in, in West Des Moines and growing up there. It was really fabulous. Um, West Des Moines exploded soon after we moved there um, simply because, you know, this sometimes happens around major cities is people don't want the big city public school district. And so the suburbs start expanding. And um, so I was incredibly blessed. My dad was um, a driver education teacher in the public schools. And then eventually he went to work when we moved, um, when I was gonna start fourth grade to West Des Moines. He started working as a, a public safety instructor for the State Department of, of Public Instruction and, and, and Safety in, in Iowa. and. Um, he purposely wanted the school district that, that I went to. And my high school was unbelievable. We had a practice football field, track and field, and we had a performance stadium. The girls had a separate gym than the boys. There was an Olympic size swimming pool. There was tennis courts. I could practice the low hurdles in one of the hallways. I could practice the 110 hurdles down one hallway and still have time to slow down and and not pull anything. Um, you could have, I think over 240 college prep offerings and um, they were the first high school in the United States of America to be given a Grammy award for exemplary performing arts in the high school. And that, that's the system that, that, that I came through and, and that formed me and, you know, being in the, the marching band was the Bicentennial Band of Iowa. They chose one marching band to go to DC in 76 and it was ours. Um, playing in the orchestra, I was a percussionist playing uh, in the second jazz band, playing trap set, being a, really a kind of a kingpin in the choral department. Uh, all those things just, incredibly shaped me and formed me and, and prepared me for college. And, uh, you know, mom and dad were um, probably what I would consider old school and it worked for them. Uh, it didn't work for my wife and I, that wouldn't have worked at all, but it was, it was kind of Ozzie and Harriet leftover, you know, kind of stuff about Ward and June Cleaver mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And, and, uh, mom stayed at home until I went to college and they needed some more money. And it was just, you know, so, so blessed. I, I graduated with three degrees and had no debt from any institution mm -hmm. because of the help they gave me and because of what I was able to, to contribute. And, and so it was just, it was just a really a, a great atmosphere to grow up in and, um, I feel very blessed to have had the parents I did and, and to have gone through, you know, the public school system that I went through and, and just to have all the advantages of the big city, but not necessarily, you know, having to live right in the guts of it. Be in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. And when, I mean, when your school wins a Grammy, I mean, it really sets your tone for, I need to succeed. I want to do this. You know, I know what it looks like to succeed. You know, here's what I'm going to go and do. So that's pretty cool that you were surrounded by that type of um, kind of greatness because, you know, 
greatness start, you know, greatness breeds greatness and things like that. And so, um, so talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, where you ended up choosing. So you ended up going to Harding. Um, what was the desire for Harding and everything like that? Hey, that, that's a really good question. At 17, I was sitting down in my room and I crafted out a dream for myself. And my dream was that I would be a Christian college choir director. I would be married. I would have two children and I would have an earned PhD. And I think one of the reasons I stay so incredibly happy is I felt like for most of my life, I woke up in the middle of my dream and, and I got to live it. And so um, being raised in the faith system that I was, a Harding was attached to that. And at the time I was making my decision on where to go. Um, the Church of Christ had colleges and universities across America. And uh, in those, there were a total of 19 choirs. Some schools had one, some had two, some had three. And at that particular moment in, in history, 14 of those 19 choirs were directed and conducted by people that had their bachelor's degree from the Harding Music Department. And so I just kind of internalized myself. Well, well that must be the factory. You know, that mm -hmm. must be where you go. And so I went down there and visited. I fell in love with it. And I tried to work my way through from the very first time I set foot on my campus until the time I graduated. So that if people over the years were still calling Harding and they're not so much anymore as they were, but, but they were in the early stages of my career, they were calling Harding and saying, um, we have an opening, who do we go after? And I was blessed in that my name was the name on their lips when I left. And so I actually turned down four job offers before I accepted the one at York because people were phoning Harding and then they were getting in touch with me. I feel like I've always had options, but th that's what, that's what drew me to Harding. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about why conducting. It sounds like you have, I mean, such a, I mean, immense passion for it, obviously, but how did you fall in love with conducting? Like most people fall in love with, you know, being a singer, being everything like that. Right, why right, conducting? Right. And, and I had a, a, a very accomplished high school singing career. And I've always felt like I've done the very most I could with what I've been given. And I'm as trained as I possibly can be, mm -hmm. but it's not my inherent gift. Mm -hmm. And I have, when I was a senior in high school, two things happened that were incredibly formative. Um, my high school choir director, we were having a, a rehearsal like two, two days, two, three days before our big concert. And in that rehearsal, he cut a song. He said, we're not ready on this one. Everybody's gonna know why it's not, why it's in the program, but why we're not singing it. And, and everybody goes, you're gonna know it's not me. They're gonna know that you just weren't ready. And I was, I remember I was devastated and I started crying. I was just like, no, this is not who we are. This cannot happen. Yeah, yeah. 
And, and so his name was Mr. Clark and they always used to joke about us and they called us Clark Clark, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and so I said, Mr. Clark, would you please leave the theater? And, and he trusted me and he said, okay. And so he walked out and I stepped in front of the choir and I said, I'm going to be in the choir room after school at three 30 doing a rehearsal. You will be there. I will be there the next morning at seven in the morning. You will show up. And everybody did. And so he was supposed to come in at the end of that last rehearsal and hear everything. Well, he had a faculty meeting. So at the end of those three rehearsals, he comes in and the choir's gone. And I'm just sitting there in the room by myself waiting for him. And he comes back and he says, so where are we? Can I put it back in? I said, but, but sir, you haven't even heard it. He goes, I don't need to, I trust you. So you tell me. And I said, okay, yes, sir. You can put it back in. And that was in the fall semester. And then in the spring semester, he gave me a piece and let me rehearse it with a women's ensemble. And to my knowledge, I'm the only student he ever let do that. I absolutely fell in love. And it's not what some people think. It's not the power trip. It's not the I'm in charge. It's, it's being connected to the music and, and, and leading other people who love to sing and giving them a community and giving them a safe space and allowing them to do something corporately that is so different and more majestic than even just singing something by themselves. They could not do it without each other. I'm just blessed to be the one to facilitate that. And from that point on, I just like, man, this is, this is what floats my boat way more than just putting me in the spotlight. No, no, put, put the group in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. No, that's really cool. That that's, um, yeah, it definitely shows a lot about, yeah, that, that type of position. Yeah. And everything. So what is, when someone is doing this, what, you know, sorry for the listeners, but I'm moving my hands up and down and doing the, what you think as a conductor would do. Um, what is that? What, what is a person doing when, when they're doing that? Cause to everyone else, you're just moving your hands. <laughs> right. We are using our arms to interpret the music, to set the tempo, to show the style, to show the articulation, to show when we're getting louder, when we're getting softer, when we're getting faster, when we're getting slower, cutoffs, entrances, cues. So you have to know the music kind of inwards, outwards, backwards, front to back in order to kind of, you know, lead these people because you have to know what's coming up based upon the sounds and everything, you know, and everything like that more or less, right? Absolutely. You have to have in your head the finished product. And so then you're constantly looking at the score and listening with your ears and I call it the glory of the ordinary is we just have another rehearsal in which we're going to try to make incremental steps between what I hear and where we need to be and I am telling you the first time in rehearsal when my ears hear what my head and my heart envisioned it is absolute magic it is so awesome when your choir 
realizes that that is happening as well. And um, that's why I love rehearsing so much is I'm scared to death that the first time that happens is in performance. My goodness, that means it hasn't happened yet. And we're, we're depending on, you know, that and, and no, no. Um, so I, I love rehearsing and I, and I love that process. That to me is, is, is so much fun. How can I craft a safe space for everybody where they can be expressive and communicative and vulnerable and artistic and they can love the process of getting to where it is they know we couldn't have gotten without the hard work and effort. But it's fun and they do it again and they tell other people you should come join us. You graduated Harding 81. Uh, you went on to get your master's and you, what did you end up uh, getting your master's uh, in? Um, it was a music education. Um, I went back to my home state of Iowa because they had um, a top 10 music education program and a top 10 choral conducting program. And I fused those two degrees as much as humanly possible and uh, went back and got my master's in two semesters in the summer. Wow. So, yeah, you really powered through that. I did. <laughs> it was a goal of yours and you said it. Um, and so what... Um, what was the journey and the arrival to York? Why York? How did you decide upon York? So how did it kind of end up on your radar as a professional career? Well, I had, you know, I had been in my uh, K through 12 public school job in Iowa for four years and I loved it. I absolutely mm -hmm. loved it. Um, and I had a friend, one of my lifelong friends who lived at York at, 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 at the time and then he moved away, but then he moved back uh, and it's in York again now, but um, all of a sudden one day I get a phone call and he says, I don't know if you've heard about this yet, but the choir director at York told the kids he's leaving. So whether the administration knows yet or not, that job is going to open up if you want to get your stuff in. Wow. So I thought, well, you know, I've only got a master's, but you know, man, I do. I do because that's, that's Christian college choir. At the time, York was only a two-year school, but still, I was just like, this is, this is it. And um, a couple of weeks later, I'm interviewing. They're slipping a contract across the desk. And that was April of 1986. I think my wife thought it wouldn't be as permanent as it has been, but it has been. I'm fully aware there may be tons of people that would be like, man, if he would leave, we would help him back. But um, I, it, it is just, I, I felt called to be here. And I've had job offers at other places. But bigger is not always better. And um, family is important to me. Um, and this community is absolutely an amazing place to raise a family and, and to be in community with other people. And um, there's just something about knowing when you're where you're supposed to be. And I just wanted to create something I couldn't afford to leave and, and really build and grow something. And I think, I think that has happened. And so currently I am certainly the, um, longest employed faculty member. This is year 35. And no faculty member has been here longer. 
I'm not sure about staff. There may be some staff people that have been here longer, but um, it doesn't make me better than anybody. It just makes me fortunate. It just mm -hmm. makes me very fortunate and um, had a good ride. And I hope uh, I still have many chapters left to write. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Um, and so talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, the family, the community that is your college and what that kind of makes great. Not only the, you know, the students that you get every year and that you'll you'll see and that come back and probably visit or you hear or touch base, but the actual, you know, the community of the, the teachers and the, the people who make up um, what is so great about your college. Wow. I, I, I think it's the fact that the faculty and staff and administration and board are all drawn to the same mission and purpose. And so it really doesn't matter what your personality is like. It really doesn't matter what your political persuasion is. It really doesn't matter if you're religiously conservative, liberal, what, whatever, or those kind of things. Um, the common denominator is the mission of the school and what we're all trying to accomplish. And because we are a private nonprofit, there's nobody here that ever has the sense of, well, we're just trying to make a corporation or the people at the top more money by what we're doing. That's not who we are. That's not what we're set up to. And so I think there's a, a camaraderie that, that happens, kind of like from everybody being in the trenches but everybody understanding why they are and being drawn to that as it were communal purpose. Um, and so some of those names and faces come and go throughout the years as they need to, but the mission remains the same. For students to be surrounded by, by a whole bunch of professionals, um, that all feel that way. I, I, I just, I, I think it's, I think it's magical. And I think there's so much transformation that happens in most people anyway, but when they're 18 to 22 and they're away from mom and dad and they're trying to figure out how much of the farm people have been trying to sell them that they want to buy, you know, and all that kind of stuff and making decisions for their lives. Um, I love being um, a cog in that wheel. No doubt. Um, and I have the mission statement here pulled up right quick. Do you mind if I share that with the listeners? So that oh, way that'd be awesome. Yeah. So the mission statement for your college, the mission of your college is to transform lives through Christ centered education and to equip students for lifelong service to God, family and society. So, yeah, I think, you know, that mission really says it all for what, you know, your college is about. Um, what does that kind of mean to you? It means that, if someone is really, we're really big on the transformation part of that, to understand that the truest transformation happens in the hearts of young adults. And that's really more a God thing than a Dr. Rausch thing. And I just try not to get in the way of that. My job is not to clone anybody. My job is try to be one of those uh, instruments that, that's part of people's transformation. Um, and that, at least to me, seems to give my life purpose and meaning and um, 
I'm always just hoping that I'm not the only one enjoying me being here. To I don't think that's the case, but yeah, <laughs> I hear that you. That's the point. So, yeah, I, I, I love our mission. And, and, I, and I, again, I think that's what, you know, is the tie that binds us all together and, and gives us all the purpose through thick and thin. And so, I mean, naturally, you've been very involved with the arts, um, with your role at, at your college. And so that extends into our community as well. Um, with your involvement in in the community playhouse so talk to me a little bit about how you got involved um you know with and your i mean just your history with the community playhouse all right well um we moved here in see i graduated in july of 82 and we moved here a week later and this was so far back that the Playhouse was doing dinner theater productions in the beer garden at Chances Are. I wish they still did that. Be, That'd be so cool. There's going to be some other people that, that remember that. But it was it was a zoo because we had to strike the set so they could do their Sunday buffet and then like put it back up and, you know, all those kind of things. And then there was a time where they went to the Legion Club and then, that, of course, they had their wonderful new facility. Um, but... I guess I was fresh meat because I showed up and they said, Hey, the music man, the new music man, how'd you like to do a musical? Put him to work. <laughs> and so I did. And because the space was so small down there, they're playing our song is, is wonderful, but it only has two cast members and it makes it kind it's of great. Tough. Yeah. It's great music by Marvin Hamlish. But I knew all I had to do was find two people. And I knew I was very possibly, depending on the audition, married to one of them. <laughs> and and so that was kind of my foray into the organization. And it has been unbelievably impacting to my entire family. Sue and I co-directed several musicals together. Oh, all of my family has been in multiple productions, not necessarily all of us together in all of them, but sometimes all of us together in all of them. And uh, had some absolutely magical moments because you're, you're building this temporary community of people that love to perform and you're trying to provide a space for them to do something that they love. And I remember the year we did Greece we did the friendly version and we tried to cast it with as many junior high and high school people as possible. So that it was really, really, really authentic. And oh man, the parents we got to work with and uh, that was when the Yorkshire was still renting the high school theater for their productions in the summer. It's a big production, lots of people coming in to see it. And bo both of my, my sons, were in that. I was musical director. Uh, my wife was director, director. Uh, my oldest son uh, played the John Travolta role. And my youngest son played uh, Johnny Casino and came out and did the hand jibe stuff in a pink tux jacket. And, um, <laughs> and it, it, it was just it was just magical uh, to take all those high school students from the area and, and, and to be able to work with them. Um, and, and then, oh man, when we did Joseph, 
I think that was the last big one they ever did there. And man, we, we did that thing up right. We had body mics on people and we had, um, uh, my wife was a narrator. Um, I, it was just, we had people in the reception line saying we ought to go on tour. There's stuff in Omaha and Lincoln that isn't this good. Uh, why do people in York not realize it? You know, all that kind of stuff. We had a full, full band that I rehearsed with in the day and we had a children's choir for close every door for me. And I had them walking up the aisles with candles and coming up on stage. And of course, you know, magic in almost any town is you get kids involved mm-hmm. and you're gonna pack your audience. Um, and, and so I, I believe by the time that rehearsals for, for set, I mean, for, for, for cast, for crew, for backstage people, for people that helped with the set, for costuming, for everything, I believe there were over 40 families that were involved in making that production happen that summer. And, and that to me is magic, you know? And then when I did the taffetas for them, oh my gosh, oh my gosh for nine months after that show was over, the taffetas still had to make appearances all over the community and sing part of that for people. And and it's just like, is this thing ever going to die? You know, I I, I just, but but again, it's magic. And, and it was a review of 1960s music. And the premise of the musical is that the audience is sitting in on the taping of a sister act that's making their television debut in New York City. I played the piano for that. And one of the most magical things in my musical life was as those ladies sang their way through all of those songs from the 60s, you could see the folks that dated and married in the 60s. Because as I would look up from playing the piano, and we would get to their song, I would see them reach across and join hands or squeeze each other's hands or look at each other and smile and remember. And I mean, the production was just so good, but also you know, what, you know, music is so evocative and so tapped into our memories that that was just a treasure trove. It went far beyond just making good art. And it was really providing memories for some of our older citizens to kind of relive their younger years. And it was absolutely precious in my life. And we just keep getting drawn back in. We love the organization. My wife was president of it for years. Um, My youngest son directs and writes shows for them uh, currently. Um, All of us have been very involved in, in, in the Yorkshire uh, throughout the years and that was actually um the memorial when my wife passed away was was for the yorkshire to hopefully allow them to do some things for people that wanted to remember sue uh, that necessarily wouldn't be in their normal budget life here in york york county you know building a family here um what what makes it so great and why why did you choose to build your family here and, and stay here um i i love how many people in this community embrace the fact that it takes a village? And one of the greatest 
anecdotes is wasn't necessarily the favorite of my boys but when they were younger and experiencing their freedom and they were off on their bikes and uh, I live on the corner of six in Ohio so you cross Delaware and then it's just a couple blocks to the park mm -hmm. and um, all of a sudden one day the phone rings and it's somebody that says, I don't want to get your sons in trouble, but I just know that you want them to be safe. And when they were leaving the park on their bicycles, they did not even look and they just pulled right out in front of traffic. Well, you know, that gave us an opportunity to have a conversation. You know, and, and, and what that is, is that's someone else caring for another family in the community. Um, we, we live right across from um, someone who works uh, in the sheriff's department. I've always felt kind of safe with a patrol car sitting across the curb, you know, across the street. Uh, but I remember, you know, my boys were in high school. And they were learning to drive. We're on a corner. Well, it was a time where we had, you know, lots of little kids in the neighborhood. Well, the neighbor could have absolutely nailed them. But he comes across and one day he says, come here, Clark. Let me, let me talk to you. So okay. He said, your boys are coming around that corner pretty fast. I'm going to give you a chance to talk to them. And you can tell them if you want to that if they don't want to listen, then I'll be talking to them. See, that's community to me. Mm -hmm. I love, 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 love York Public Schools. I'm such an advocate for them. Um, that, that to me was certainly another strength in staying here. And um, I hope York always keeps its commitment to each other. I, I think that's one of the things that makes it a jewel and, and makes it so attractive and such a fabulous place to live. No, without a doubt. We've, I mean, I'm only 29 years old. When I moved away, what was that? Um, I was working in Indianapolis and I just knew after being there for only a year that that wasn't ever going to be the place for me. There was no community. There was no, like, every time I tried to volunteer somewhere, it was, well, who are you? It just wasn't fun. So life in uh, York, York County. Um... I love it. And, you know, my youngest son and decided to move back. And now he's raising a family here in town. I think fabulously and wonderfully uber connected to the community. Um, and that, that warms my heart to watch that and, and, and sometimes even be a part of some of those um, efforts and initiatives you know, that he's drawn to. For sure. Um, so I don't know how much you kind of want to talk about Sue on this podcast or if you want to talk. I would um, love for you to share she, however you want she, to. She absolutely loved this community. Um, she grew to a place professionally where there just really wasn't a job here for her with her discipline. And, and but even when she would commute, she would constantly say, you know, the things that she missed on this and that and the other, but she, um, 
was so connected to the community in so many ways. Um, I, I remember as part of her doctoral work, um, I, I don't know where the group is now, but she kind of formulated this like women of York thing to get going. And, and she just had such a passion for mentoring younger women um, because uh, the queen actually shattered the glass ceiling without any role models in her generation on how to do it. And she wanted to make the next generation of female professionals. She wanted to make things easier and better for them. Um, she loved this community passionately. She gave to it in a multiplicity of ways. Um, we had a 38 year fabulous love story. It just ended too soon. And I'm certainly not the only one missing her. I'm certainly not the only one grieving. Um, that, it affects me very personally. But I, I believe anytime anyone experiences loss, that it's equally significant. So mine is not a superior grief or a harder grief or anything like that, but, but it is mine. And it's the only one that I have. And there's some intense moments to it, you know, that COVID has added. That is my new reality. And um, she would want me to figure out a way to thrive and not just survive. And um, so I think that that's what our family is trying to do, to honor her and remember her and go ahead and hurt when it hurts and lean into the pain and see what it has to teach us and see if we can grow and see if we can not just only become different, but see if we can become better somehow. But uh, she was so passionate about family that I believe our family is passionate about still trying to really stay connected as family and love each other through this and, and be there for each other in the ways that we can and not have too many of those moments where because everybody's grieving, there's all this stuff we're gonna have to deal with even when COVID's over. So we're, you know, all just doing the best we can. But uh, I know she had a lot of friends and she was definitely the more personable of the two of us. Um, and that's, that's completely understandable. And uh, I think one of the most amazing things about uh, her people responding to her death was almost all the things, all the anecdotes I saw online and heard in person, about 90% of them, I never even knew. She just did what she did quietly. And that's just so different. My position and my responsibilities are so public that, that I just kind of have a different jam mm -hmm. than she yes. did. Um, but um, I think we made a great team we called each other Team Roush all the time, and I, I love our family. I think we did a good job there. They may argue with me. <laughs> they can do that. But uh, um, it's just been such an honor uh, for us to be here. And so now, you know, I learned to uh, be here with the memories and just not the physical presence. Yeah, and I'm – Sure, there's a lot of people, other people in the community, like you said, that are you know missing her and everything like that. This this community misses her, and 
we just need to make sure we do everything we can to with legacy and everything like that, honor her, her legacy and everything. And so working towards that. Um, so this last part of the interview, I just kind of want to jump into some rapid fire questions. Um, these are just some fun questions to kind of round out the interview. Um, sure. First one here is favorite restaurant in York County. Is there a Wendy's. 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 What about Wendy's? You've just always been a Wendy's guy, the Frosties? Yeah, yeah. What not about it? <laughs> okay, there you we know. go. <laughs> okay. Exactly. <laughs> um, plus, plus Lonnie, Lonnie Berger is a, such a stud. He's an amazing uh, fellow. He's, he's he's just a man, you know, and a half. So, I mean, all that. Awesome, yeah. Uh, thoughts on York College uh, eSports? I, I saw that York College is getting eSports. Yeah, I love it. That seems to be a new thing. And like, hello, they already spent a godforsaken amount of time playing those games anyway. Why not? Some- you know, bring some more people on campus to compete and do it. What do I care? You know, get them some scholarship money too. You know, yeah, yeah. that's not, that's not my gig, but <laughs> boy, it's, it's a lot of other people's. I hope, maybe there's a singer though. That's, that'll be coming out of esports. You never know. That'd be uh, favorite meal here in uh, either a homemade meal, or if there's a meal that you love to go get, what's, what's kind of a favorite meal of yours? Oh, it would, it would be homemade. And it would not be me making it. <laughs> uh, my oldest son is a chef. I am not. Oh wow! Uh, but my favorite meal would be prime rib, roasted ranch potatoes, a small salad, a glass of wine, and creme brulee. Oh, that sounds quite the meal. It, that, it is. That would be perfect. Uh, favorite memory uh, here in York County that, that you maybe have? Um, actually, twice um, through the Chamber of Commerce, I brought the touring Omaha Symphony Chamber Orchestra to the community, and both times my choir got to perform with them, and that was that was just epic. I remember when I was younger going to up at the high school, a symphony. That may be what, maybe what it was. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It would have been about 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, favorite county or local event. What's something that you're always looking forward to? Something um, that takes place. I, I actually, I actually love the farmer's market. Farmer's market. I love supporting the local people. I love seeing the products and crafts and all the creativity that show up and being able to buy some fresh produce. Next segment here is just kind of a fun um, little segment kind of going on, talking about, you know, with so much negativity kind of out there in the world, um, kind of what kind of makes us happy currently in our in our lives. So I'll kind of go first and share um, what kind of is making me happy. And uh, just the other day I was, I was driving around town and I happened to be up by um, the middle school, I say the new middle school here in town, but it's the middle school now. Um, and so I was driving by the middle school and the elementary school, and I saw um, all the dirt work that's being done for Shadowbrook, um, that new uh, community being built here in town for, um, there's a bunch of houses that, that are going to go up in there. So I'm very excited and looking forward to, um, you know, that new community being built and all, and all the people that welcomes into our community. And what about you, Clark? Well, for me, it's family. Mm-hmm. That's so life-giving for me, and to share family life—that is, 
it's always been important to me, but it has taken on a new level. Yeah, certainly this year you've, all of us, not you, but everyone has um, kind of noticed that some of the things that we took for granted, took advantage of, um, we're certainly kind of realizing that for sure now this year. Um, and then you know, I just want to thank you for your time. And then I'll, I'll leave you with the closing words for the day. Um, if there's anything you want to leave us with, some um, a nugget, if you will, um, some words of wisdom or anything like that, I would um, just leave it to you and the floor is yours. All right. Well, I'm a, I'm a big believer in mantras and in constantly seeing certain things. So I'm going to look up on the wall in my study and I'm going to read passion. There are many things in life that will capture your eye, but very few will capture your heart. These are the ones to pursue. These are the ones worth keeping. So figure those things out and live your life filled with the things that capture your heart. Well, thank you, Clark. I, I appreciate that. Taking the time today and sitting down with us and, and everything like that. So thanks. Thanks for your time today, Clark. You're welcome. I appreciate the opportunity. This is 17 County, brought to you by the York County Development Corporation in Nebraska. For more information about life and opportunity in the heartland, visit yorkdevco.com. Come grow with us. And if you liked this episode, be sure to rate and review 17 County on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Mm-hmm.